This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent, the wee 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 French accent, <laughs> and you stay for the principles. And today's going to be arguably one of the most important shows I ever do because I need to talk to you about something that will destroy your nation. If you look around in the media, left and right, you're going to hear a lot of things that, oh, this is going to destroy America, and this is the, the foundation of America that, you know, if we don't do this thing, we're dead. That's all subjective. That is all opinion. Sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not. But what I'm going to talk to you about today, if you don't deal with this very, very quickly, it will be the end of your nation. Because no other nation has done what you're doing right now and continuing to do without addressing and survive. But before I talk to you about that, I need to give you the groundwork of why what is going on right now is so important. And I want to give you an analogy. You know, I've been blessed to learn from a lot of different people in many different aspects of my life. But one of the best analogies and best piece of advice I ever got was about 12, 13, 14 years ago when I started managing staff. And basically, I got this analogy of that there are two types of managers in this world. There's the manager who sits and stands on the dance floor and is in the middle of the dance floor, surrounded by people. They're never effective. And there's a manager who stands not with the people, not in the middle of the dance floor, not in where all the attention is and where everyone's eyes are drawn. The successful manager is up on the balcony. Why is that? Because... The analogy I was given was the manager that's on that dance floor and is at the center of attention only can see a certain aspect of the business at any one time. If you imagine yourself on a dance floor in a big room and in the center of the room there's a dance floor and you're in the middle of that dance floor, you can only see a certain aspect of the room. You can only see what's in front of you. You can only see what's in your eye shot left and right. You can only see what people allow you to see because some people will block you. Some people will be, you know, the dad dance, woo, and all the handsy and, you know, doing the nine to five rock and roller. You can't see behind them. You will see different people do different types of dance. There'll be people who will waltz around the outside of dance and will constantly get in your way. You can't see past them, but you also can't see behind you. You're blocked. You haven't got eyes in, in your head. So at any one point in time, all you can see is what you gaze on. The best managers are the managers who are on the balcony, who position themselves perfectly where they can see everything. They can see what's happening on the dance floor. They can see the dad dance. They can see the person waltzing around the outside. They can also see the door, who's coming, who's going. They can see if something's about to go wrong in the corner. Oh, watch that. Oh, oh, something happens there. Oh, they're talking to so-and-so. They can see who's standing at the bar getting, ooh, let's get drunk, man. That's a bit of Bill Clinton for you. You know, let's get high, let's get whatever. They can see absolutely everything. That is a great analogy for what you're seeing right now. Because all the things that you're talking about right now, all the media people, all the people on social media are that person in the middle of the dance floor. 
All they can see is what they're gazed on. They don't see the bigger picture. Or if they do see the bigger picture, they want to convince you the bigger picture doesn't exist. Why? Because people love simple narratives. It sells really well. If you do anything around the media, if you do ever do an interview and you're prepped for an interview, they will tell you what you need to do is to get a core message of a sentence long or two sentences long to fill two three needs. One, if it's on TV, that it goes across that ticker, that it makes it easy to go, hey, guess what? John said XYZ. President Trump said XYZ. Joe Biden said XYZ. Then they tell you to get a 30-second clip. Give me your best 30-second clip on why Trump should be elected or why Joe Biden should be elected or why the Republicans are bad or why Amy Coney Barrett should never be on the Supreme Court. Give me that 30-second clip. I can replay and replay and replay. It's all in that tunnel vision. Twitter, the exact same. Give me your best 280-character reason why Trump should win in 2020. Give me your best reason why Biden should. Hey, the Democrats are great and the Republicans are bad or vice versa. Give me 280 characters. That's it. Oh, and by the way, a space counts as one. That is all you gaze upon in that little tunnel vision. That's all you can see. You don't get to see any other aspect of it. You don't get to see, well, maybe, just maybe, what we're discussing right now is a hell of a lot more nuanced. Maybe it just needs a bit more attention. Maybe we need to delve into things a bit more. No, 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 no. No, we don't. Ticker clock, 30-second clip that we can replay, or 280 characters, baby. And that is what we're all driven towards. Now, before, anytime I talk about what's going on behind the scenes and about media and stuff, I always get, oh, well, that's just the media, John. I hate to break this to you, but we're part of the problem. And there's evidence to back this up. The amount of people who, and I've seen this on left and right, this is not about politics. This isn't about, well, of course, the Republicans are smarter, the Democrats are dumb, you can't hold their attention. The amount of people who click on an article, who read the article, who read the little subheading, then will like read the first paragraph, scroll all the way down to the end and get the conclusion, and miss the body of the text. There's scientific evidence now. Most people spend about 20 seconds on an article. Now, unless we're all of a sudden have a nation and a world of speed readers, there's no way you're reading a thousand words in 20 seconds and digesting it and understanding it and then forming your own opinion. There's scientific evidence to back this up. And by the way, when I say 20 seconds, that's on the high side. I've seen stats where people spend 12 seconds on a page. Now, I know some people would say, well, John, that's just clearly the content was dull and boring and we just moved on. On an average of sites... I'm not talking about different individual articles. I'm talking about site-wide. 12, 15, 20 seconds. That's a problem that we need to address. Now, maybe the standard of writing do no, does need to come up. Cool, no problem. But these are professional writers. These are journalists on both sides of the aisle. But look at what we've been taught to think right now. Look at all the YouTube videos that you see. All short, condensed down to make it easier for you to understand things. All we are looking at is that tunnel vision. That little vision of what we're told to do. And anytime you get a bit more nuanced, ever think, of, ever see the way people are treated on social media? Anytime you go, this issue is a lot more complex. Oh, what are you, one of those? Fill in the blank. Oh, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? You Are you one of those liberals? 
Everything wants you to condense down the argument. We need to have a look at ourselves and our world and understand, yes, there are things that are made very complicated that shouldn't be. But also, there are a lot of things that are made simple that are a hell of a lot more nuanced. We need to understand that certain things need more discussion. Why did I share this analogy today? America, you're in trouble. I've been saying this for the longest time, but you're hitting points never, ever seen before. And not only have we never seen these points before, we've never even imagined these points before. There are many things that will destroy your nation. If you listen to the media, oh, electing Donald Trump again will destroy America. You listen to some of the media on the right, electing Joe Biden will do that. Maybe, maybe not. I'm in the camp, it won't, ever who wins. Am I saying, I want Joe Biden to win, or am I saying I want Donald Trump? No. I'm saying I have faith in you. I don't care who's your president. This idea, this nonsensical idea pushed by both media parties that America will cease to exist if so-and-so wins the presidency is bullcrap. Bullcrap. Look at what you have survived over the last 20 years. The idea that electing one person will be the death of your nation? Really? You've survived September 11th. You've survived, what would you call it? The Great Depression? The Great Recession? It wasn't the Great Depression. The Great Recession? The Wall Street collapse? You've survived all this. You've had dark days in the past. And I hate to break this to people, but you will also have dark days in the future. Life is not a little sea that's calm and tranquil that we all take our boats on and that we travel around the world. Life is choppy at times. And this too shall pass. Whether it happens, whether you want the good election, whatever your outcome is defined as good in 2020, if that happens, congratulations. But if it doesn't happen and you have the the nightmare scenario, quote-unquote, this too shall pass. America will survive. You have proved that. You've proved that so many times in the past, and you will prove it again in the future. But there are many things. The election, socialism, healthcare, coronavirus, they are, may or may not kill you. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. There is one issue I can tell you. If you don't address, we'll kill you. That is your debt. Your debt is going and growing and growing and growing and growing. Give you a little bit of trivia to think about during this break. When was the last year, do you think, and the last president, even if you can give me that, that you actually had a budget surplus and that your debt actually went down? Think about that. Spoiler alert, it wasn't Bill Clinton. Despite him bragging about it and the Republicans bragging about it, it wasn't Bill Clinton. Think about that for a minute. But the reason I want to talk to you about your debt today, because I have found a trend... Because this debt didn't become huge and monstrous overnight. And contrary to local and recent opinions by left and right, it isn't a George Bush problem. It isn't a Barack Obama problem. It's a much bigger problem than this. It isn't a left versus right. It isn't a Republican and a Democrat. I'm going to make the case for you. And I'm going to use numbers. Facts. You know those facts, those those pesky little things that never seem to go away? I'm going to use facts to back up everything I say. Just think about that. Last president, 
last administration to reduce the debt. So did you get the answer? Or did you have to Google it? It wasn't Donald Trump, wasn't Barack Obama, wasn't George Bush, wasn't Bill Clinton, wasn't George Bush Sr., wasn't Ronald Reagan, wasn't Jimmy Carter, wasn't Tricky Dicky, wasn't Robert Ford. Gotta keep going back. Do you remember all those presidents? You see, here's the frightening thing, to show you how bad and out of context your debt is. A lot of you weren't alive when the last president or the last administration oversaw a budget surplus that resulted in your deficit going down. Do you want to know the answer? 1957. 63 years ago. To put that into context, if you're on retirement, if you're just, hey, just became a senior citizen and cashing in that IRS, congratulations, you were about two the last time you had a budget surplus. Does that seem like sound economic policy? To my friends on the right are going, oh, it's always the left, it's the left, it's the left. We're the right in charge since 1957? You see, the problem with our friends on both sides of the aisle is all their focus is they are that manager sitting and standing on the dance floor. And all they can see is, hey, what can I blame the left for today? What can I blame the right for? There are certain things I disagree with on both sides of the aisle. If you're a long-term listener... I think it's safe to say there's very little I've said that is good about the left. Definitely not leftist ideology. Liberal ideology, classic liberal, yes. But leftist ideologies, I can't remember one time in seven years I've said something positive about it. I've said some positive things about the right. But I believe in your founding principles. I believe in free markets, which pretty much excludes me from both sides of the aisle a lot of times. But I want to talk to you about numbers. And I've broken this down to make it as simple as possible for you to understand the trend. And this trend goes all the way back to 1953. It's now 2020. So bear with me. In 1953, Eisenhower is elected president. And what I've done is, even though it's not constitutional, before anyone points this out, I've made it about presidents and presidential terms to make it easier and easier for people to digest. I believe, because I understand the Constitution, the vast majority of responsibility for the debt actually belongs with the House. Because that is where the power of the purse lies. But to make things simple and to show you a much bigger trend, I've gone back to presidential terms. In 1953, Eisenhower is elected. In his first term, he runs up $13 of debt in four years. Can you imagine if a president did that? Imagine if a president, I don't care what party you said, I'm just going to run up the debt by $13 billion in the next four years. That would be alien today. And his second term, he ran up another $13 billion. Over that eight-year period of Eisenhower's presidency, he gained, added $26 billion to your debt. Then John F. Kennedy, I, we want, by the end of this decade, we will go to the moon, steps forward. And becomes president. And in the first term of John F. Kennedy, and I'm including 
when obviously he sadly got assassinated and Lyndon Johnson became president, I'm putting all those to make the argument simple. I'm putting all their term together as one presidential term. In the first four years of John F. Kennedy being president, you added 25 billion. Setting a precedent of what you added in the last eight years to your debt, you pretty much add in the first four years of the next presidential. Over the eight-year period of John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, you added 25 in his first term and 35 in his second term, giving a combined total of $61 billion. Then Nixon comes into play. In Nixon's first four years, he adds $79 billion to the deficit surpassing the prior eight years of 61 billion between again i'm making this simple i'm adding nixon and ford because they technically were the same kind of ticket obviously one got impeached and resigned and then ford comes into play in that eight year period of nixon and ford you added 79 billion to the debt and 193 billion to the debt adding 272 billion in that eight year period Jimmy Carter gets elected and serves four years, adds $287 billion to the debt, again surpassing what you added in the prior eight years. Now here's where it gets a bit tricky, because Jimmy Carter didn't serve a second term, so who do we compare it to? Well, when Ronald Reagan came into office in 1981, in his first four-year term, he added $664 billion. If you double what Jimmy Carter added to the debt, he far surpassed what he added in eight years. In his second term, Ronald Reagan added $1 trillion to the debt, giving a combined total and the first president ever to see oversee a trillion dollars of debt increase in your presidential history. He added a total of $1.6 trillion. George Bush comes into office no new taxes, you hear me? No new taxes. Yeah, right. And in 1989 to 1993, with George Bush, the Republican, he adds $1.6 to the debt. However, again, continuing that precedent of what you added in the prior eight years, you added in four. Then we get to the anomaly. The anomaly of Bill Clinton. And he's an anomaly in, the, anomaly in this because... He actually, by modern terms, didn't add that much to your debt. He added $1.1 trillion in his first four years and $450 billion in his second term, giving a combined total of $1.6 trillion. He only added $1.6 trillion to your debt. The same as what Ronald Reagan added. By modern terms, when you can count inflation, it's not too bad. But that's when things get really, really bad. Because Bill Clinton, we're now up in the trillions. Bill Clinton adds $1.6 trillion to the debt. George Bush, in his first term, his first four years in office, adds $1.7 trillion. And then adds another $400, sorry, adds another $2.65 trillion in his second term. Giving George Bush a combination of $4.37 trillion to your debt. Barack Obama, in his first term, adds six trillion, easily smashing the prior four point uh, four point three seven trillion. Obama then adds another three point five trillion, 
to his debt in that eight-year period, giving a combined total of $9.5 trillion. Donald Trump's first term is not finished yet, and he's already added $7.2 trillion. Now, I know that's a lot of numbers for you, but here's the headline, the bullet points. You have a trend going back to 1953 that basically... In four years, you add to the debt more or around the same as what you added in the prior race. How long is that sustainable for? At what point do the banks call saying, no more? America, you're at a point in time, your debt is so big. Does anyone understand what $28 trillion looks like? Just try and visualize that amount of money. Just try and visualize it. Like, we can all visualize, hey, here's a book. Here's 10 books. Here's 100 books. Here's 1,000 books. A little wad. Here's 10,000. Bit bigger. We've all seen a suitcase, whether it's real or imaginary. You know those suitcases they used to do with different game shows with a million dollars in it? Remember, it's all big things. Suitcase. million dollars. I can visualize that. Anyone can visualize it. We might never skip to see it. I know I won't. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll become a millionaire. What does 10 million look like? Again, you can visualize it. Well, it's 10 suitcases. Okay. What point does it get to a billion? What does a trillion look like? How many suitcases is that? Is there enough money in the world to print to get to 28 trillion? Guys, I'm saying this not out of, hey, you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm saying this is an opportunity to say, look, this isn't about left or right. This is about a bigger trend. And the reason I share this trend is because I know some people will will pick out their favorite presidents and kind of go, I know one of them, I know someone will say, well, you know, you can't, it's not fair to include Ronald Reagan in that. Ronald Reagan, you know, look at what he had to do to the military, Jimmy Carter, and had decimated the military and the Cold War and all these different things. Okay. I There's different reasons for different things. But what you can do is you can pick out your president and say, well, there's a reason for that president running that debt up. Or there's a reason for that time. Okay. But do you not see the bigger picture? If you're that guy who's just looking at that presidential term and looking at that four or eight year period, which I'm going to give you another example of what other people have done in the past. You're looking at that four or eight year period making a justification for it? Okay, maybe there is a justification. Let's say your reasons are valid. That doesn't stop. That that excuses that four or eight year period. But I've talked to you From 1953 to 2020. That's 67 years. Do you not see a bigger trend? There's always going to be reasons. The military needs to be built up. There's coronavirus. There's this. There's that. Yet the trend always seems to continue. Government grows. Spending increases. And your debt increases. At some point, does the, the, the penny not drop and go, maybe it's both sides. Maybe no matter how much we do, it's a rigged system. Because what you have there is you have Eisenhower as a Republican. You have Kennedy and Johnson as Democrats. You have Nixon and Ford as as Republicans. You have Carter as a Democrat, Reagan as a Republican, Bush as a Republican, Clinton as a Democrat, Bush as a Republican, Obama as a Democrat, Republican as Trump. Yet nothing ever seems to change. One, the debt is going one way. One way, gang. The reason I bring this up is not to say, hey, you should vote for this candidate or that candidate in 2020. I keep telling you guys, that's not my gig. 
my gig is to tell you this is what you need to watch out for. It's time to start having real conversations. Because what is the number that you think America can borrow until you have trouble? This is the amazing thing for me. America will never have trouble. So do you think you could borrow $10 trillion tomorrow and just be okay? What's the magic number? What's the point that you don't cross? Like this arrogance, there's people. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Fly. Do you want to talk about principles? Um, at what point, you know, if, if you think there's no, Amer- we're America, we can borrow any amount of money and not have any consequences. Well, then why stop spending money? Why actually believe in fiscal conservatism? Why not run up a budget of $20 trillion a year? If it means nothing, if you can just keep borrowing it, what's the problem? Why stop at, why stop at $1 trillion? You know, your, your economy's in tatters right now. It's starting to bounce back because you're starting to open things up. But in certain places, why not give a minimum in- income? Why not give $1,000 people a month? Oh, well, that's fiscal insanity. Okay, so why is that fiscal insanity and what you're doing not? You think it's possible to grad a trillion dollars every year to your debt and not have any consequences? Oh, well, it won't be for a long time. Okay, great. Well, what's the number? Give me the parameters. Because here's what's frustrating to me as someone who loves economics. No one ever gives me the magic number of, well, when we hit this point, we're in trouble. I've said to you the longest time, I thought when you'd hit 10 trillion, you'd wake up. I used to always tell the story where I used to always find it funny as a non-American coming over to your country, to New York, the city I love, and seeing your debt clock. It was like, hey, look how many, look how much money we owe. Kind of like me, you know, with a calorie clock. Oh, look at me. I have 5,000 calories this week. Look how, how, how fat I am. Isn't that wonderful? It's awesome. Let me brag about this. But I always said you'd hit 10 trillion and you'd stop. Why? Because there wouldn't, you'd have to get a new debt clock. Because it only went up to nine, nine trillion, you've nine hundred ninety-nine billion, nine hundred ninety-nine million, nine hundred ninety-nine thousand and ninety-nine pence. It, that's as far as it went up. It didn't go any further. It stopped. And I always figured when that clock goes down, you'd all go, "Oh, clock is broken. We can't. Do, we need to get a new clock." Oh, we're, we're, we've ten trillion in dollars. Maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe we should reduce that. You've just gone right by that. What point is the stop? If you add 10 trillion over the next four years, 20 trillion, 30 trillion, because if you're America and you can survive everything, why not do it? Why not give everyone loads of money? Why not just keep printing it out? Especially people who are unemployed because of coronavirus, why not give them a thousand bucks a week? Let's say, hey, there's a thousand bucks a week, go stimulate the economy through Amazon. Give them Amazon gift cards. Give them Walmart gift cards. Hey, that'll create jobs, right? Why? Because it's fiscal insanity. And why is that different to what you're doing? Guys, I love you. There are many things that you face right now. I'm not belittling anything that you face, coronavirus or socialism or anything. I'm right there with you. But many countries have died in the past, but have survived different aspects. There are different things, countries have faced different issues, where you think they're never going to survive, and they did. These things could kill you. I'm not saying they won't. They could is the key word. There has never been a country in the history of the world, and we have a lot of scientific evidence now, who has borrowed the amount of money you have and survived long term. There has never been a country. And a lot of countries, you look, and let me talk to my friends on the right for a minute. You look and you laugh and you scoff about socialism and what it has done to places like Venezuela and Cuba. Why is that different? That won't happen on your shores. You're doing a lot of similar things that they did. 
Yes, you're growing your government. Yes, you're spending reckless amounts of money. Yes, you're borrowing money that you pe- from people you shouldn't borrow. Oh, and you're printing money, so it's becoming le- worth, worth less and less and less. Yes, you, Venezuela and Cuba did other things as well, which you don't do. But you're doing a lot of those same things. But yet, Venezuela won't happen in America. I hate to break this to you. You're an American. The laws of economics may stretch and, and, and expand for you more than other people's because you, you know, the, you have the gold, the, the reserve currency in dollar. There are certain aspects you have as a benefit. You have cheap oil, but it doesn't expand forever. At some point, that band is going to snap. And trust me, from an economic point of view, if the debt is 28 trillion or 38 trillion or whatever number it is and that band snaps, you don't want to be around. You have a voice. Share this with people. Share these are the cold numbers. Go research these numbers if you don't believe me. But then use us and start making debt and asking your public officials. If you want to ask Donald Trump, ask. If you want to ask Joe Biden. But what are you doing asking your senators, asking your congressmen? Hey, why are we not reigning spending in? If you want to know the right person you should ask, the right person, I don't know who it is for your district, but you find out who's running for your house and you say, hey, I want you to go to D.C. and I want you to rein in the spending. Stop the pork. We need to start balancing our budgets. You want to make a change? There's a change. And it doesn't involve Donald Trump or even the Republican Party. Just get your local House candidate to say, no more spending. We need fiscal sanity in the House because that is where the power of the purse lies. Before we continue and I share the last story of the day I want to share about with your debt, just to give you a historical example of what you have done in the past, I just want to address something off the bat in a personal situation. You all know I'm doing a speaking tour and starting in January 21st, I think it is, and I, you know, funding about 10 grand of my own money and I did a GoFundMe. And then last week I closed the GoFundMe. I've always been transparent and open and honest with you guys because I I think it's what you believe. You invest in me. You invest your time in this show listening to me and you invite me into your your home or your mind or whatever it is, your car or your job or your workplace for 45, 50 minutes a week. I think you deserve honesty. Here's the reason I I shut it down. And I don't have the full story. So I set it up and... Some people gave some donations, and I raised over a thousand bucks to everyone who donated. Thank you so much. I'm I'm forever in your debt. But then I got a message a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, from someone saying, "Hey, I tried to donate, but it wouldn't let me donate. And um, even though it's in euros, I'm in dollars. Shouldn't be a problem. It's GoFundMe. And honestly, I didn't think a whole lot of it. I thought maybe look, it's just something. Maybe you know there could be problems with the card, or you know, technology's down, the bank is down, their bank is down, their site is down. Could have been any number of things. And they just said, "Listen, thanks very much for donating. Trying to donate, I'll, I'll look into it." And I did. And then a couple of other people told me and said, "Hey, I'm having problems looking into you know donating. It won't let me go through, and it keeps telling me to check with my bank and different things." So I get on to to GoFundMe, and we set up this chat. And I got talking on, I didn't physically phone, it was in a web chat. And they said, oh, yeah, there's a there's a hold on your account. Um, let me go check this out. And he goes and says, hey, he makes me wait for a few minutes. And he said, oh, the person's just on lunch. Um, 
let me look into this. Let me get this, you know, all sorted out. Let me get the hold off your account and different things, and I'll, I'll email you back. Um, you know, get in touch, and I'll be, I'll be, he'd be back from lunch soon, and well, all's good. Don't worry. Never heard from him. A couple of days go by, and a few other people, and then I, at this point, I was telling people privately, stop, don't even try, because my biggest fear, honestly, was you would try donate and you would pay, and I wouldn't get the the money wouldn't come to GoFundMe on my side, and they would get to get the money, and I was just terrified of that, and I, because I realized how hard earned your money is. A couple of days go by, hear nothing, check up again. I go on the web chat. I'm number one in the queue. Wait about 45, 50 minutes. That's all I could wait. Got nobody. Logged off. Went, okay, I'll go back later on. Maybe it's lunchtime or something or whatever. Logged back on again. Same thing. But this time when I logged off, I got an email. Hey, sorry we missed you. Um, You know, what's going on? So I actually responded to their email and went, yeah, this is what's going on. I would talk to this guy, gentleman I gave the name. I'm not going to share it on publicly. I spoke to this guy a couple of days ago. This is the problem I'm having. Da, 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 da. At this point, I'm getting really freaked out. So I actually withdraw all the funds. Thankfully, I've got them. Um, and then basically two days later, I get an email from them going, oh, we see you withdraw all your funds. I guess evidence all evidence sorted now. And basically, thanks for doing business with us. So... My biggest fear was that someone would see the donation, try donate, and they, you know, basically wouldn't, they'd pocket the money. So I shut down the GoFundMe. Honestly, I haven't had time to research another one. There will be another fundraiser. Um, to anyone who's listened, thank you so much for donating. To anyone who's going to donate, thank you. Bear with me. I will find a place. Uh, I will tell you on this show where it is because I don't want anyone putting one out in my name or scamming anyone or taking any money from people. Just give me some time. Um, I need time to research, and my life's kind of hectic right now with work, this show, research, competition. Competition's four weeks, three weeks this Saturday. Gonna, it's going to smash it. But thank you so much for your support and all your kind words. This fly, man, won't go away. Um, I want to finish up a story with you about what we just spoke about, about the debt. A lot of people will pick on their favorite president and kind of go, well, this is why this person spent money. Or, well, John, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, the war on terror, it costs money, man. You know, it needs to be dealt with. You know, and we'll defend George Bush. We'll defend Obama. You know, look, it was the, look at the economy. You know, we needed to stimulate money. We needed to shovel-ready jobs, which weren't shovel-ready, but, you know, let's play along. We needed to do this. We needed to do this. We needed to do this. And through that 50, 60-year period, there's always been something. Okay. Let's ju- let's let's use the assumption that debt for the government is okay for a certain period of time. The problem that you've had is that after a period of time, you need to pay that back. You never have. You have never had a government put in place to say, okay, we have had this issue, we have borrowed X amount of money, now we're going to pay it back. Like even the most fiscal conservative person who's really like limited government and government shouldn't do anything. If with the coronavirus... I think most people, if the government had come and had credibility, that's the big thing. If most governments had said, look, we have this coronavirus, we have to shut down the economy, we're going to borrow $2 trillion, let me use an American example, or $3 trillion, or $5 trillion, and we're going to stimulate the economy to keep people, keep, keep people's jobs basically alive for a week, for a month, for two months, whatever, fill in the blank. But then it's back to normal. And we've borrowed this amount of money, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut this spending. We're going to cut this spending. We're going to try and grow revenues elsewhere, and we're going to pay it back. And we're going to ensure it's paid back in 10 years or five years or even 20 years. And they came up with a plan to pay it back. Obviously, it depends on, of, uh, in the devil in the detail. But I think most fiscal conservatives went, okay, there's a plan. 
The key word to that, though, is that you have credibility. So many people don't have credibility today. They say these things. Politicians, oh, we're going to do this. Get to D.C. Vote the other way. Vote the other way. I, I know that. That's just an Etsy sketch. There's a, there's a quote from the past that you might remember. But I actually want to talk to you about a time your country actually did the right thing, where it added debt, and then it solved it. The year was 1941. Hmm, why does that year sound familiar? Well, history, 1941. What was going on in the world around 1941 and 42 and 43? And f- what was that? Hmm. Oh, yes, you defeated Nazism. 1941, that great president, that great president that packed the court. can't believe we're back to those crappy arguments again. Your debt in 1941, you added $6 billion. In 1942, because the war effort was starting to ramp up, it was $24 billion. In 1943, it was $64 billion. In 1944, it was $64 billion. 1945, war starting to come to an end. You didn't need as much money. 57 billion. In 1946, the war's over. You drastically reduced the deficit. You only borrowed 10 billion that year. What did you do the next two years? 1947, you had a surplus and reduced the debt by 11 billion. And the same in 1948, you reduced it by 6 billion. By the way, that was done by FDR and Truman. Last time I checked, and maybe my history's a bit spotty, they're not Republicans. Anyone wants to point to me, well, what has, the, what has the Democrats ever done good for America? Well, they actually paid back the debt after World War II. Some of it, not all of it, but some of it. You see, guys, I am an ideologue. I make no bones about what I am. I believe there's a set of principles whether it's, you know, whether it's biblical principles, whether it's principles based around freedom of the individual, whether it's based around free market economics. But I'm not a, you know, every other idea is bad. I'll, I'll be open to discussions. I, I agree with your war spending, or a good chunk of it anyway. FDR, you know, internment camp spending. I think we can write that as a bad idea, right? Bad idea. Don't do that. Don't do internment camps. Not a good idea. Mind you, we're starting to see that again, which is another story I'll share with you later on. But you borrowed money to fight World War II. Okay, great. Then you reduced it. Then you started paying it back. How about if we did that today? Or would that actually win votes? See, here's the truth. One of the reasons why I go on about what you're not a democracy or a republic, because democracy is not something that's something good and noble. I know every time people hear democracy, they go, oh, yes, democracy. Oh, baby, democracy makes me feel all warm inside. There's nothing awesome about democracy. There's a good thing about having a democratic vote and a voice in your next government, absolutely. But there's nothing good about democracy. Why? Because if 50% of the voting public plus one person says, guess what, I get to take your money and take your stuff? Hey, democracy, baby. That's that's all good, right? If I get to say, I'm going to run and I'm going to tax the rich at 90%, well, and I win, that's democracy, baby. It doesn't work that way. You need some fundamental principles. That's why you're a republic, a constitutional republic. There are certain things that are off limits. You should borrow money if things are bad. You should grow government and spend money for a very short, precise amount of time. But then you need to have people with moral backbone saying, yes, we borrowed money and it was for that job and that intention. That's done now. It's time to stop and it's time to pay the piper. That's what we need 
That's what the world needs, whether it's Ireland, whether it's England, whether it's America, because all debts are going. This is the frightening thing about the world we live in. The numbers just get bigger and bigger. Everyone's debt is growing. I don't want Americans to feel like you're the only country in the world that's borrowing large amounts of money. The difference is your sums of money are way bigger. Like there's a, let me give you an example just to put this into context of how much you're borrowing. You borrowed $4 trillion this year to the debt. There's a plan in England right now because of these coronavirus. And the question on one of the big papers, I think it was the Daily Mail, to the financial person in England was, where are you going to find this $5 billion that you've just promised people? Where are you going to find $5 billion? You've just added $4 trillion. And he's worried about $5 billion. And in case you're wondering, that's about the United Kingdom. Half the population size of America. But that's to put it in context. I could compare it to Ireland. You know, a small little nation. When we got bailed out and we went bankrupt, we needed 80 billion. 80 billion because we were bankrupt and destitute. You just borrowed four trillion dollars in the last 365 days. That's just to put it into context. That is how much debt you're borrowing. Guys, it's time to wake up. It's time to say, stop with the madness. And that this is not a left-right issue. This is not a Republican or Democrat issue. This is a DC issue. And DC is on drugs. DC is on steroids. And both people are enablers. Whether it's Republicans or Democrats, they are enabling that addict to keep spending money. But here's the thing. They keep enabling that addict, but they keep sending you the bill. But even worse than that, they're sending your kids and your grandkids the bill. Where does that seem fair? How is that principled? How is that compassion? It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up and say enough. As always, I hope today's show has given you something to think about. I apologize. I know there was a lot of numbers given. I tried to take my time going through them so that you wouldn't be, oh my God, all the numbers. What's he saying now? To make it simple. Please share this show with your family and your friends. Even if they never ever watch another show of mine, they need to know about your debt. They need to know what is happening and why this is a very dangerous trend. And if it doesn't stop, America will cease to exist. It might be 2025. It might be 2030. It might be 2040. But you're on that path to self-destruction. You're on that path to suicide. Stop. You can turn things around. Why? Because America is great because Americans are good. No matter who wins this election, and I know bad times are coming, but the result of this election, no matter who wins. But never ever forget, you're great because of your people, but most importantly, you're great because of that idea. Until next week at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.